Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Believe in Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Tori Jones. Along with me is my co-host, Stephen Vaughn. Stephen, we've been talking about doing a podcast for a while, man. I'm excited to finally make this a reality. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we've been talking back and forth on Twitter for, I mean, a couple of years now. And so to finally like meet you in person and now get this opportunity to do this a couple of times a week, man, it's going to be fun, you know, because we have different perspectives, but we both know ball and that's the thing. You know, we just want the Blazers to win. So I think it's going to be good for us to kind of get our feelings out, get different views on everything. And uh, it's going to work out in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll give a little bit of our backstories as this is the first episode, and we will have more news in the future, potentially a Twitter page for the podcast and that sort of thing. But right now, we just got to get some content out for you guys. We plan on uploading once a week. We will have our website feed, and then we also plan on doing a video version over on my second YouTube channel, Blazers Uprise Live. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, and some other platforms. So we will have more information on where you can find us and some of the things we'll be doing with this podcast in the future. But at a base minimum, me and me and Steven are huge Blazer fans. We both played a little bit of college basketball, a little bit similar backstory. And let's just get into it, man. So right now you're at 750 the game. What was your route into becoming a radio host? slash producer and where you're at right now. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I played basketball in the Portland area in Milwaukee at Rex Putnam High School, uh, then went on to play at Clackamas Community College for a couple of years, win the NWAC championship, all-league player, uh, then went over to Concordia over in Portland before it shut down. It's shut down now, so it's not really a school anymore, but uh, went there, played there a couple of years, all-league guy there, um, and then out of college, I was working and I was just looking online for jobs and... I saw this Blazer job working for the Portland Trail Blazers in their scouting department. And I just, you know, thought, why not try for it? Uh, I ended up getting it as a video analyst. And so basically what that was is I was watching film, uh, you know, 40 hours a week of just watching NBA film and breaking it down, kind of like the initial breakdown of video. So, you know, we would watch every single play you know, on average. There's around, you know, 320 plays in an NBA game, counted all the rebounds and, I'd watch every play of the game and I would break down what type of play it was, who was running it, how it was defended, you know, what direction they were going, just how the defense was helping out, how the defense, you know, if they would get in position or if they would just reach and try to go for a steal. Any little detail that happens in that basketball play, I would have to track it and mark it down and give it to the Blazers um, so then they could go into their own scouting with it as well. So I was doing like the initial breakdown. I did that for six and a half years. Um, it's kind of like what... Um, Synergy is, you know, Tori, you know, synergy and stuff like it's kind of it's kind of was synergy before synergy was really blowing up with what I was kind of doing with the Blazers. And so when that became bigger, they uh, they just let me go. And it was fine. You know, I kind of knew it was coming, but I was in the transition mode trying to figure out what I want to do. And then same thing, you know, I went over to uh, Rip City Radio and they had a job as like a board board op and that kind of stuff. So I just decided to see what I, you know, it might be fun to get into radio, do that. And so I did that. And then I got this opportunity at 750, the game, just a couple, uh, you know, two months ago about basically. And uh, now, you know, I'm working on uh, the BFT with John Canzano, three to six statewide in Oregon, uh, 750 in Portland. But, uh, you know, I'm running his board 
getting on there, getting my takes, and uh, hopefully we got some extra things coming out later on at the station. Will have me more heavily involved, you know, as a host, as a co-host type thing. So. I'm uh, just doing that. And then, you know, so just been around basketball my whole life, you know, played college, like I said, scouted with the NBA. So, you know, I've always had that love for the NBA and I have that love for the Blazers being around the area my whole life. But now I kind of look at it differently as more of a job than a passion, right? Like I still want the Blazers to win a championship, but I look at it a lot differently where I don't have that emotional attachment to necessarily all the players, which I think in my mind, it's better that way. But I know a lot of Blazers fans don't necessarily think the way I do. And so I think that's why I have a good level head, I think, with the Blazers. But ultimately, I have two kids. I want to take them to a parade in Portland. I think that would be the coolest thing ever. So whenever I'm talking about the Blazers and how they can win and be better, that is always my ultimate goal of how I want to see them get to a championship. Because that just be a memory with my kids I want to have. So the Blazers are always my ride or die team. But, uh, you know, it's just a little different now ever since they fired me. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, man. And this is why I wanted to start this podcast with you is because we both – have gone different routes in terms of covering the team. Uh, we went the same route in college. Well, we, we went different routes. I was an all-league. I didn't win an NWAC championship. I was a bench player. So you had a little bit more college success there. But I'll, I'll be the guy that'll be attached to all the players while also trying to keep a, a level head. You know, I, I like to try and call things as it is. And I know you're quite the same. And there's, of course, a million different ways to look at what's best for a basketball team. So... Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to bringing a couple different perspectives together with this podcast. As far as my backstory goes, played high school at Columbia River High School in Vancouver, Washington. I'm a Washingtonian and uh, played a year of college ball at Columbia Basin College in Tri-Cities in Pasco, Washington. And we finished fourth out of, what, 32, 33 teams. We, we had a good run, really deep team. Didn't really go how I thought it would go, so didn't end up playing a second year. Kind of hung up the sneakers other than some rec ball. And uh, that, that was it for my college career, but always been a, a diehard Blazer fan, man, since 2006 when Brandon Roy got drafted by the Blazers. That was when my fandom started. But after I retired, I... Decide I want to do YouTube, man, and YouTube's a weird thing because you go in it on your own. You have to figure things out yourself. It's not necessarily where you're hired as part of a radio station. You have a whole team around you. You're just kind of going in blind. So I went in blind, made content for a couple of years, didn't get much success, but I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed talking about the team. Uh, then I started Blazers Uprise. That kind of took off, and we've been building upon that ever since me and my co-host over there, Eric. Brandt. So it's been kind of a weird journey for me. Uh, never thought I would be covering the team or a part of the, I don't know, you say I'm part of the media now. I don't look at it like that, but uh, it's cool to be in a position to have a platform to be able to share my love of the Portland Trailblazers. You're kind of, you're kind of what Draymond would call, you know, the new media, right? Like you supposedly calling people out, uh, you know, you're going to keep it real. But like, you know, that's what I told you. I said, you know, whether you like it or not, you are kind of, you know, part of the media. And it's a good thing, though, because you, you know, you know what you're talking about. A lot of people in the media don't necessarily even watch the games or understand what's going on. So for a guy like you who has watched the game and you scout a lot of things, you watch a lot of tape, like that's more than a lot of what the media does. And that's what I've learned as well is that I have that you know, initiative to go out and do the extra stuff to figure it out. And so I think that's why this is going to work with you and me, because 
yes, you do have the fandom part, and I don't necessarily have the biggest fandom as you do, but you also do keep it real. You're going to call some of the players out if you don't like the way they're playing or, you know, what all that kind of stuff. So I think that's why this is really going to work because we are both real about it. Like, we both just won a championship here in Portland, but we have different views on it, but we both know ball and we both can respect each other. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll break down things a little bit in depth in regards to stuff that's happening out there on the floor, but we'll also try and explain it in a way where it makes sense to to anyone listening. That's been my whole idea with doing YouTube with my channel, Blazers Uprises, trying to go in depth with things, but in a way that makes sense. And that's a difficult thing to do. So I'm looking forward to working with you on trying to do that with this podcast. Anything else you want to add? Nah, man, I'm ready to get this going. I'm excited. Uh, I'm just happy, you know, you thought of me, the situation. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think this is really going to be a good thing for not only you and me, but I think for a lot of Blazer fans just to get your voices out and get a good educational piece of what could actually happen with the Blazers. Yep, absolutely. So as far as Blazers talk for this first episode, we're just going to recap the offseason. And then after this, we will look forward on some season previews, uh, things like that. It's mid-August. So uh, doing only one of these weekly, we'll have some time to look ahead. But we did want to get an offseason recap out. So we'll touch on Jeremy Grant, the draft, free agency, as well as kind of give our summary for the offseason. And then in future episodes, we will look ahead on what we think the team will do and how good we think the team is in comparison to other teams in the Western Conference. So the first move of the offseason, the Portland Trailblazers traded for Jeremy Grant. There was Jeremy Grant rumors for a while, for seemingly a year, a year and a half. Damian Lillard played with Jeremy Grant on the Olympic team last offseason and was supposedly trying to recruit him. And then in April... Uh, my co-host on my YouTube channel, Eric Brandt, said that Jeremy Grant was going to be a Portland Trailblazer. That was the first time I heard somebody say that it was a lock. It was heavily rumored, but that was the first time I heard somebody say it was a lock. And uh, honestly, I didn't really fully believe him, but he was absolutely right. It was a situation where Jeremy Grant wanted to play with Damian Lillard, who he's good friends with off the court. Apparently, they were working out together for a while before the trade even actually happened. And this trade was in the makings for at least a couple months before it happened. In the end, the Blazers give up a 2025 Milwaukee first round pick. That was the pick that they ended up getting after they lost the Pelicans pick after the Pelicans played their way into the playoffs. They also moved down from 36 to 46 in the second round of this past year's draft. They ended up trading that 46th pick and then there was a couple other second round picks involved. So essentially, man, it was Jeremy Grant in return for the 2025 Milwaukee first what did you think of that trade? What do you think of the value the Blazers gave up? And what do you think about Jeremy Grant's fit here as we move forward? I mean, obviously, a heartbreak for Blazer fans to not get the lottery pick, right? And when it happens, this was the best case scenario. Because like you said, this was maybe the worst, you know, the worst secret out there, worst kept secret out there was that Jeremy Grant wanted to come to Portland. Portland wanted them. There was the picture of Nurk and Josh Hart and Jeremy Grant all talking on March 21st when they played in Detroit. And they took that picture and you thought, okay, well, yeah, like they're talking about how to get to Portland. And so when they acquired Jeremy Grant for that draft pick, I mean, it was a win, right? Like Jeremy Grant is definitely worth a 
probably a pick in the 20s, the mid-20s, because Milwaukee's going to be good, right? Giannis is there. They're going to have a high floor no matter what it is, even if they're not necessarily championship contenders, which I don't know if they will be at that point because Chris Middleton might be gone. Drew Holiday's going to be getting up there in age. The Bucks may fall off just slightly, but Giannis is there, and that's, the floor is going to be so high. So I think for that pick, you could just say around 20 for a guy like Jimmy Grant. I think it's a great trade. Now, his fit here in Portland, I think it's okay, right? I, I like Jeremy Grant as a player. I don't necessarily like him as your starting four who's your number three option on offense, which is probably what he's going to be here in Portland. You got Ant, you got Dame, you got Nurk, but I think Jeremy Grant's probably a little bit more versatile on offense than Nurk is. So I think Grant is your third option. I don't necessarily like that, but for what they had to give up for him, I think it's a great fit. Now, fit-wise, if he comes back and plays defense like he did in – Denver, like he did when he was in Oklahoma City. I think that's the, that would be a big win for Portland because he, he didn't play great defense when he was in Detroit, and it's understandable uh, being on a bad team for a couple of years. You're just trying to get your buckets, trying to make your money that way, and he did it. But now here in Portland, they need him to be a very valuable piece on the defensive end because we all know that Portland's defense is lacking everywhere, right? Nurk is a solid defender when he's a positional defender, not necessarily – you know, the shot blocker, the rim protector that you want, but he gets in good position. So I think if Jeremy Grant can help him a little bit and be that athletic wing that Portland has been missing since, I don't know, Nicola Batum, like I think that's going to help a lot. So I do think it's a win of a trade and ultimately will help the Blazers. I just don't know how much. Yeah. Uh, it's a win given what they gave up to. Now, Detroit fans were upset when the trade happened and then they flipped that Milwaukee first for Jalen Duran in the draft. Then they were happy about it. So they got pretty good return on value in the end. Um, but I was worried that the Blazers were going to trade potentially up to the seventh pick for Jeremy Grant heading up to the draft. I was extremely nervous about that and I thought, okay, well, maybe they try and trade down from seven to 12 or 13 and get back some more assets and then they trade a late lottery pick for Jeremy Grant. I was happy just because it wasn't that. <laughs> At the bare minimum, I can handle. Even if he struggles and he has an extension that is uh, that he could possibly sign after this season, even if he ends up becoming overpaid in the future, I'm kind of just happy that they didn't give up as much as some Blazer fans said they wanted to give up for him, which was up to the seventh overall pick. So value-wise, I think it was a fine trade. I think he can come in here and... It, it'll, it'll be interesting, man, because he was a role player in Denver. He was a role player in OKC. Then he leaves Denver to go to Detroit, where he kind of functioned as the star offensively, had the highest usage rate there in Detroit, was kind of the guy. So it'll be interesting seeing him after being a role player and then figuring out, oh, I can kind of perform as the guy on offense. It'll be interesting to see where he lands in terms of his offensive role, taking a step backwards, going to a situation like Portland, well, where he'll be the third offensive option once again, which is what he was in OKC. They had Westbrook and Paul George, and then that's what he was in Denver when they had Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. So it'll be interesting to see how he functions offensively. It'll be interesting to watch his efficiency, if his efficiency will go back to the you know, 38, 37% three-point shooter he was in OKC in Denver, or if he'll remain a little bit below that like he was in Detroit. So that's one of the main things I'm watching 
watching for this year. And I hope that he's able to embrace taking that step back. Since he wanted to be here, I assume he is. That was one of my worries, but offensively, I'm not too, I'm not too worried about it as I was before because he wanted to come here to this specific situation. Yeah. And I mean, just being his family, right. You know, the son of Harvey Grant, like he has that NBA mentality. So I'm with you. I think him wanting to come to Portland is big for his effort level. Let's just say. Um, And I think also it's good just value-wise, right? Like Portland gave up that first-round pick. But I think worst-case scenario, let's just say the Blazers struggle, the Blazers have injuries, and they don't necessarily try. They try to tank again this year. They can trade Jeremy Grant for what is the equivalent of a 2025 Milwaukee first-round pick, right? Jeremy Grant can help a really good team, can help a contending team. So I think worst-case scenario, the Blazers could just flip him and get that draft pick back. Best-case scenario is he fits in really well with the team and they give him that contract. Yeah, he may be a little overpaid, but he's still only 28 years old, you know, four or five-year deal. He could still function at those ages with that money. So I think it's a win everywhere. Like, I don't see any downside to the trade, even though, like we both said, I don't necessarily love Jeremy Grant as a player, but it's a win because worst-case scenario, you're going to get that value back. I think people may be getting a little bit ahead of themselves when they envision him being like a lockdown on-ball defender. It seems like a lot of people seem to think that about him. It's funny because... When I've watched him in the past, he looks like that type of guy. He's long, lengthy, agile, has all the tools in order to be a really good on-ball multi-positional defender. But then when you look at defensive analytics, they say he's not good on the ball whatsoever. So you can never read too much into defensive analytics. They're just always interesting to take a peek at. So I went back, I watched four full bubble games from him playing against LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, the first round where he was matched up against Donovan Mitchell. Remember, Donovan Mitchell went off in the bubble. Well, and to that point, Tori, like you talked to a lot of people, that was when Jeremy Garrett was at his best, right? Like he was on a winning team and he was contributing. So those were like the best games of his career so far. Yeah, and what I noticed when he was matched up one-on-one, he was absolutely fine, really solid defender. When he had to get through screens, when he had to guard a pick and roll ball handler, that's where some of his struggles came in. So that's something to watch this year, too. If you're going to be a guy that's guarding a lot of stars, stars run a lot of pick and rolls. So if he's going to be that guy that's going to be guarding LeBron, that's going to be guarding Luka Doncic, uh, that is something to watch this year is how he gets through screens, because that was the one area where he uh, seemed to struggle in the bubble. And, you know, team defense and when he's not dealing with a ball screen, he's absolutely fine defensively. He's a good defensive player in those situations. It's just in order to be that guy guarding stars, you got to get through on ball screens. Yeah, I mean, he's got, like you said, he's got the length. He's got the athleticism. He has everything you look for in a defensive stopper, uh, but he just hasn't necessarily put it all together. I think the question that I would have for you, Tori, is, is he good enough to be an all-league defender. I know the Blazers don't necessarily need him to be an all-league defender, but does he have that kind of capabilities or is the lack of being able to get through ball screens and just the lack of just defensive awareness in general, is it too much to be able to ask and say, you know what, if Jeremy Grant has his best season, he could be an all-league NBA defender. 
It's hard to answer that question, man, without watching him, you know, game in, game out for a ton of games. It's really hard to analyze players defensively. It's easy to see, oh, Damian Lillard put the ball in the basket 25 times this game, right? Slight over-exaggeration, but, you know, it's easy to see Dame going off offensively. It's a lot harder to kind of analyze defense. So that's going to be maybe the top thing that I'm watching right off the bat this season is just how does he look off the ball, on the ball, getting through screens and whatnot. And it's not like he's physically incapable of getting through screens better, man. It was just more of a technique thing. So hopefully it's not a problem anymore. And if it is, hopefully it's something that Chauncey Billups can help him clean up. But I don't think he'll ever end up being an all defensive team guy, but I don't think you necessarily need him to be because the Blazers have a couple on ball defensive defenders, point of attack defenders, one of which they brought in free agency we'll talk about in a little bit. So if he can play more off the ball and maybe be a secondary point of attack type of defender, then I think that's the best role for him defensively. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And the thing about it is, like you said, I don't think he necessarily has to be that on-ball stopper every single game, night in and night out. But what is good is he is Still only 20 years old. He's young. He's six foot eight. He's long. He's athletic. That's something the Blazers haven't had for a long time. So to have that length in your lineup and that, you know, that flexibility, I think it's going to be great whether he is guarding LeBron or he's taking turns or whatever. Blazers got some guys that can switch in and out. So it's something the Blazers haven't had. And so for that reason, you know, again, another good reason to give up a future pick that's going to be probably in the twenties. That isn't for sure at all. You're getting a, you know, a proven veteran that can play in the playoffs and be very successful. So I think that's why, you know, it's it's a good trade overall. Absolutely. So let's move on. Let's talk draft. The Blazers, of course, they didn't move up in the draft lottery. Uh, you know, they didn't get lucky in that regard, but they still had the seventh overall pick after a successful season or half a season of tanking. We dealt with just miserable basketball for two straight months just to have the best lottery odds and the best draft pick possible. Unfortunately, we passed up the Sacramento Kings, and that was the spot to be in. They jumped up to four. They ended up drafting Keegan Murray, who, honestly, I wasn't super high on, but uh, the Blazers sat at seventh, and there was a debate before the draft because... There was this guy, Shaden Sharp, who didn't play in college, but was the number one player in the class of 2020, what was it, 2022, before he reclassified up, went to Kentucky, decided not to play, could have played, and there was a mystery about him with that sort of situation. There was no college game film. The highest level of game film you could find on him was when he played at the EYBL the previous summer, which is not college-level basketball. Of course, being in Portland, you got Damian Lillard from Weber State and Anthony Simons who didn't play in college. We've had some success with players with some questionable competition prior to coming into the league, but... Uh, There was definitely a debate around should Shaden Sharp be the guy. There was a rumored draft promise from the Blazers given to Shaden Sharp. And when draft night rolls around, he ends up being the Blazers pick. He goes number seven. The Pacers drafted Benedict Matherin right before him. And number six, that was another guy that a lot of Blazer fans wanted. Dyson Daniels went right after him at number eight. Those were kind of the three main targets that a lot of Blazer fans were talking about. So my question for you is... Which one of those targets were you higher on, and were you happy with the Blazers swinging for a mystery, high-risk, high-reward type of prospect? I was. I, I love the Shaden Sharp pick. I was talking about this on 750 The Game. I said, I don't know what his season's going to be. 
It could be a season where he averages 15 points a game and looks like a potential all-star in the future, or it could be a year where he's playing in the G League. I really have no idea. Like, there's there's so much in between with this guy. There's so much mystery. But you watch him, and you just watch some of his games that he played. You watch his highlights. The guy just oozes with skill and potential and that length, that six foot six and really long. Like, he's everything you kind of want in a prospect. And John Calipari, the head coach of Kentucky, he was hoping that he would come back. Come back. Uh, Shane Sharp thought about it, but his draft stock just kept going higher and higher, and he had to leave. Calipari said he probably would. He thinks he would have been the first pick overall next season. Now, probably not with Victor uh, Wimbenyama. He's going to be the number one pick, but like that's the kind of hype that Shane Sharp had. So to get him at seven and to cash in your tickets of we just tanked for 40-plus games of terrible basketball. And trust me, Tori, you did this too. You guys covered the Blazers every night. I covered the Blazers every single night and had to talk about this team. Night in and night out, it was impossible. Mm-hmm. Like, what can you actually talk about? It was a fake season, as I would call I see it was a fake season last year. So to get the reward of Shane and Sharp and have the potential of saying, you know, we could have this guy turn into a star. And whether that's when Damian Lillard is still in his prime or after his prime, and then you're building with Ant and Sharp, I, it's a win. Now, it's definitely not foolproof. There are a lot of ways where this does not go well and Shaden Sharp is on a different team in a couple of years or he doesn't even get a second contract with the Blazers. But for me, in the draft, that's where you got to do it. The Blazers have to find their stars in the draft. That's how they've always done it. And that's the way they need to do it later on, it, you know, just for their whole entire future. So draft Shaden Sharp, hope it turns out, hope it hits. It was the best opportunity. So I'm glad the Blazers didn't trade it. The opportunities, it seemed like it was OG Ananobi, it was John Collins. I like them as players, but you know what? In the Western Conference, they're not all-stars. They're not close to being all-stars. Shane Sharp has that potential to be an all-star, to be a superstar. So I want to take that risk. I think the only way to build a championship team in Portland is to hit it big in the draft by getting a guy like Dane, getting a guy like Ann, getting a guy like Shane Sharp, and build it after that. So Sharp was a great pick in my mind. I just, I mean, I have a lot of questions, and I can't wait to watch him play. But it was the best. It was the best move in my mind. Yeah. So I've had this team building philosophy that I've talked about on air before, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. The way I've looked at the Portland Trailblazers is they just haven't had a high enough ceiling, a high enough level that they could reach in order to become a contender. Now, part of that is the defensive struggles, but part of that has been the Blazers kind of needed a consistently reliable third score. That was supposed to be Norman Powell. He just had some other problems and was definitely undersized for the three, more undersized than Shaden Sharp is. So I've always been a proponent of swing for upside, especially in the top 10, because you're not going to find anyone with Shaden Sharp's upside later in the draft. Now, of course, I say that and maybe there's another Nikola Jokic in this year's draft that I overlooked, but more more likely than not, you're not going to find somebody with that level of upside. So you can find role players anywhere. The Blazers, we'll talk about in a second, but looks like they found a really quality role player with the 57th pick. Their MLE signing was undrafted, which was Gary Payton II, Jeremy Grant was a second round pick back in the day. You can find role players anywhere on the free agent market for the mid-level exception later on in the draft. It's not hard to find decent role players. It's hard to find a star. It's hard to find somebody that raises your team's ceiling 
to the next level. So there was some proponents of Dyson Daniels, who was a guy I honestly liked, but Jeremy Sohan was another name tossed out there as a really good defensive player that could maybe be something offensively. But I did not like those options as much as Shaden Sharp because I figured you could find similar types of players or prospects later in the draft, or you could find guys that had already developed a bit on the free agent market to help the Blazers out defensively. So I was absolutely on board with taking a swing for upside at seven. I thought that made the most sense. So what do you think of that whole team building philosophy, just trying to find upside when you have the chances to, and then filling in the gaps later? Yeah, it's it's the argument of what wins, you know, what wins in the NBA? Is it talent? Is it coaching? Is it the combination? Like, I'm with you. I think it's more high-end talent. You, you look at the NBA finals this season, Look who it was. It was Boston. They had Jalen or Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Al Horford. All these guys are high talented guys. And then the Warriors, obviously, Steph Curry, Clay, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, a very talented player. Like Gary Payton the second, very talented player. You have to get that high end talent. Now coaching does matter, but just to get a baseline, you have to have your talent level at a certain way. And so I think with the Shane Sharp pick, like you're right. I love a guy like Jeremy Sohan. I, I I think it would have been him or Sohan in my mind is what I would have loved. I, he reminded me of a lot of Scotty Barnes without the passing ability, just the way he plays defense, the way he can drive. But with Shaden Sharp, man, if it hits, and it's a big if, I don't even know the percentages, but if it hits, like he has the ability to be one of the better wings in the NBA. And that's just something you can't get on the street. You have to draft that guy, develop that guy, and then pay him and let him shine in a situation. So I think Shane Sharp is in a good spot. Portland has always had winning teams. Bring him in, see what happens, and hope he hits. Because that's the way you're going to get you know these superstar guys, all NBA guys. Yep, absolutely. So just to talk a little bit about what that upside actually is with a guy like Shane Sharp, uh, just freak athlete. You're not going to be able to develop guys to have the athletic profile that Shaden Sharp does. He's just an unnatural athlete. The 48-inch vertical jump that was self-reported by him before the draft is supposedly a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but the dude can jump out of the gym. On top of that, some of his shot-making ability, some of the shots that he's comfortable with shooting and can hit at times, uh, it's just a wide base to build on from a scoring repertoire. And it's hard to even really talk about him without seeing seeing him much unfortunately gets hurt in summer league but this is a guy you just you can't really put his upside into words it's something that you can see when you watch the tape though with a guy like that uh upside wise i wouldn't be shocked if he's a 20 point per game scorer at some point who is just a freak athlete can beat guys off the dribble knock step back threes and all sorts of things and the the final reason i'll give for why i'm happy with the pick is somebody with his potential as a scorer I love having Damian Lillard as a mentor for him. I think that's worked out well for Anthony Simons. And then I love having Chauncey Billups as a coach for him because Chauncey Billups has been touted for helping guys improve their playmaking and their passing ability and their reads. When he was an assistant coach for the Clippers, he was credited with that. And then he comes in here, first year head coach for the Portland Trailblazers, and you see Anthony Simons' playmaking and passing ability to take a huge leap. So for you know a, a mentor that can help with some of the 
crafty and creative ways to score like a Damian Lillard and then a coach like Chauncey Billups who's really good at helping players develop their passing ability and making reads. I think that's the perfect two guys to have mentoring him. So I think this is a really good spot for him to develop. He's not going to have to start and play 32 minutes a game right away. So he's not going to have all that pressure after not playing in college. So I think this is a really good situation for him. Yeah, even the one shot he hit in Summer League, it was a tough fadeaway from the corner, right? Like, and that's the ability he has. And again, I go back to this. What wins in the playoffs, right? What wins in the NBA Finals? It's a lot of shot making. You're making your own moves. You're making your own tough shots. And that's something that you cannot coach. There's a lot of guys that can't do it in the NBA. Shaden Sharp, if it hits, he's one of those guys that can be able to create his own shot and make tough shots. So, I think maybe not even regular season. He's gonna. He may be a better playoff player. I always thought CJ McCollum was a better playoff player than a regular season player because he can make take and make tough shots. I think Shaden Sharp's in the same thing. Only he's six foot six with a huge wingspan, great athletic ability. So I, I think it's a win overall. Uh, just even if it doesn't hit as a draft pick. Yeah, absolutely. So. The other draft pick that the Blazers used, the 57th overall pick, which was the second to last pick in the draft, they drafted forward Jabari Walker out of Colorado. He was a guy that I liked, especially during the Pac-12 tournament where he had a great game against Arizona. He was a guy that I was far higher on than where he ended up getting drafted. Uh, and he was a guy that impressed during summer league, looked phenomenal, looked like a guy who could potentially be ready to help a solid to good team right away, right away, showed his three point shot making ability, looked really good on the defensive end, especially containing uh, drivers and ball handlers, and then had a couple nice passes on top of that. So my question to you is, are you buying the hype? Uh, um, I, no, I wouldn't buy the hype to, I think, what a lot of Blazers fans are saying. Um, I do like the pick, right? Like, the, I think this is the way I put it. When I watched Jabari Walker play, and I take away a few things from Summer League. One is, can you shoot the NBA three? Because it's a deeper three than college. He proved he could hit him in a short amount of time, right? 43% from three is what he shot in Summer League. Obviously, I don't think he's a 43% three-point shooter in the regular season, but he proved that he can step out and hit that shot. And number two is, and it's not even stats or anything, is you can tell who belongs, right? The confidence that he has. He belongs in the NBA. And so getting his, you know, his official contract, he's on the roster, I think it's great. I don't expect anything out of him this season. I think anything he provides with the Portland Trailblazers this season is basically bonus and icing on the cake because he was the 57th overall pick. Not that they can't contribute, but I'm not going to put pressure on him to be a role player day one or even a role player midway through the season. So for in that sense, I'm not buying the hype. I do buy the hype that he is an NBA player and he deserves a shot. And so bottom line is good draft pick because you've got a guy who at least has proven himself to be able to earn that chance. And so for that, I like it. I just, I don't expect anything out of him, Tori. I don't know what you're expecting, but I really, I, I don't. I'm not going to throw any expectations on this guy just because he wasn't planted this year. Like when you make that draft pick, you're not taking a guy at 57 saying he's going to be our backup four. You're not going to do that. And so I expect nothing out of him. I don't know what you're thinking, man. I think you have a clear cut top seven going into next year. That is Dame, Ant, Nasir Little, 
Josh Hart, Gary Payton the second, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic, right? That's your top seven. Beyond that, you need a backup center. That'll likely come down to Drew Eubanks and Trenton Watford. And then you still probably have another role, another regular role that somebody could Phil, and I think the Blazers will give guys chances here and there. So I think one of those guys that will get a chance is Jabari Walker. Now, I assume that Justice Winslow will be ahead of him in the rotation, but I don't think that it's a situation where he's not going to get a chance next year, which excites me. It's not a situation where he has to come in and perform and help a team that lacks depth, but it's also a situation where he's going to get a chance playing next to good players and not having to do too much. So I, I'm buying the hype on him as a guy who is going to end up being a rotation player for a good team. That's why I was higher on him. I don't think he's ever going to become a star player or anything or somebody that's going to, you know, average four assists per game at a forward spot or anything like that, right? But when you look at role players, and especially guys drafted in the second round, a lot of the ones that pan out, they're able to shoot threes and they're able to play defense. And those are the two easiest skills to translate to the NBA into a uh, secondary player, into a guy that plays a role. He spaces the floor for guys like, you know, if he ends up playing next to Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, as long as his three-point shot is, you know, 36-37%, which I think it will be. He's just going to space the floor and knock down open threes when they come to him, and he's going to help out in that regard. And then he rebounds well on top of that, so he's not going to hurt you on the boards. And then defensively, I think he will be an okay defender from day one. I just think he's too lengthy, uh, too big, and then also too agile. I was really impressed with how he contained some guards. Now it's summer league, so obviously it's going to be harder when you're going up against a Kyrie Irving or somebody like that, but how many forwards have we had that can stay in front of Kyrie Irving? You know what I mean? It's not like it's a a high bar in terms of forwards. So just as long as he can adequately defend and knock down threes, I mean... That that's that's a guy that could help the team off the bench. So I think there's a chance he might help the team next year just being able to do those two things. Now he might run into some trouble, um, you know, if he has to make reads or, or make a quick pass and that sort of thing. But I think he's a smart player. His dad, Samaki Walker, played in the NBA. So I, I'm high on him because I think he's a smart role player that won't hurt you. And then long term, I mean, I don't, I don't, I've compared him a little bit to Jeremy Grant. They're not the same player, but Jeremy Grant was a second round pick as well. You know, I, I think he has the potential years down the line to be a starting forward in the league. No, I think you're right on. I mean, Jeremy Grant wasn't a great shooter when he was young and he developed a shot and he was long and lengthy. So I'm with you on that. I think my final point with him was just, I love. I, I agree with you, and you make a good point that he does. He deserves a chance at the NBA, and I think a lot of guys maybe get one chance. I think Jabari Walker deserves more than a chance. I don't expect him to come in right away and be great. I could see him struggling when he first starts playing, but the ability that he's shown, and like you said, all the flashes he has, I think he deserves a second, maybe a third, you know, a third good run in the NBA to see if he can prove it. I think the Blazers are committed to that by giving him that guaranteed contract so for that reason I do like it and I think I want to see what he can do because again another guy that's 6'9 and long you can't you can't necessarily coach that and so it's going to be fun to watch him develop this season I don't know if he turns into an NBA player but I think he deserves a couple chances to at least 
have a chance to prove uh, prove he belongs. Yeah, and it's interesting to to look at like a trend in Watford in comparison to him because Trent Watford is is skilled for his size, can handle the ball, but his role is questionable. He's undersized for the backup center spot, but center might be his best position. And then as far as a floor spacer, his three-point shot is suspect, right? So what role does he play at the NBA level if he's going to get regular minutes? There's a bit of a question. And that's why I'm high on Jabari Walker, because he's a guy you can always use forwards that you can plug in, and they're going to hit some threes, rebound the ball, and play some defense. Who do you think has more upside between the two, Jabari Walker or Trent Wofford? That's a tough question. I think... I think Trenton Watford does because the things he can do off the dribble are give him some playmaker upside and some slashing upside. It's just he has to make people respect him as a three-point shooter so that they'll close out on him. Then he can attack that, go downhill, make plays, that sort of thing. But I have more confidence in Jabari Walker being the better player long-term, if that makes sense. I just think it's going to be hard for Trenton Watford to find that specific role uh, complimentary role in the NBA if he's not able to figure out his three-point shot. So I'm hopeful that uh, that Trent Wofford can figure out his three-point shot, but I, I would say him for upside simply because of his playmaking, but uh, I'm, I'm more confident in Jabari Walker. Yes, yeah, see, I'm opposite of you. I think Jabari Walker has a lot, a lot more upside than Trenton Wofford. I don't think Trenton Wofford's a great athlete, and I think Jabari Walker being a really good athlete and also strong. You talked about his rebounding ability. I think the fact that he is big and strong and athletic, but also can bang inside and get rebounds. I think he's just got a lot more potential than Trenton Wofford. So that'll be an interesting thing. You know, I think those two will be competing for some minutes during the season. So I'm excited to watch that. So let's move on and talk about the Blazers free agency period. We're going to start with their mid-level exception signing at the trade deadline. Joe Cronin had a couple of comments talking about balancing the roster. He was asked about how the roster was guard heavy, and he said he envisioned the roster being more balanced at the end of the offseason. He ends up drafting Shaden Sharp at seven, which I like, and then he ends up signing a guard in Gary Payton the second, and kind of doubling down on the small ball that the Blazers had last year. But in my opinion, it could be a little bit different for reasons I'll get into. But first, I want your thoughts on the Gary Payton, the second signing, a guy who was in the Blazers training camp like three years yeah. ago. And they in like the summer league. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So but now he's made his name as an NBA player playing for Golden State last year. Big part of their championship run. What do you think about this signing? First of all, like, again, I'm going to reference the playoff thing, like. He's proven he can play in the playoffs. And I think that is such a big thing to be successful in the biggest situations. And he did that, right? He, you know, at Oregon State, I was, you know, I went to a, or a couple of Oregon State games when he was down there in Corvallis. And I always thought, you know, he has that athleticism to be in the NBA. He is a unbelievable athlete. Now he's only six foot three, six foot four, but a tremendous athlete. So I think for the Blazers, his role is going to be pretty well defined. It is. When you're in the game, you are guarding the best player on the other team and you are look to shut him down. Be the best on-ball defender on the team. And I think I think he can fulfill that role. I again, I like him as a player. The fit, I don't I don't necessarily know where he's going to get his minutes because it's real, the Blazers are really going to test out the positionless basketball because he's going to have to play almost like a big guy, right? He's going to have to end up guarding some fours I think in lineups where he's in the game. And he's going to be the de facto four, like trying to rebound, trying to bang his guys. So it'll be interesting. I like him as a player. I like his defensive ability because the Blazers just don't have those guys ever that 
are known for defense, and that's what his role is. His role is to play hard defense. So I I don't know, man. I, I like the move. I just don't know where he's going to get a bunch of minutes. But you give him this money, you're going to have to play him somewhere. I think for his size, he's one of the, if not the best forward defender that's six foot two in the league, right? Uh, analytically, I mean, there's analytics for everything at this point, you know, but analytically guards forwards well, guards guards well, like he doesn't struggle against forwards. He he competes. And the whole narrative around the Portland Trailblazers is you can't win if you have a three guard starting lineup. You can't win if you play too small. And then last season happens and Damian Lillard's injured and the Blazers fall apart. And last season seemingly confirmed that narrative. I thought last season there was more of an effort issue. I mean, they start out 10 and one at home and have a terrific defensive team, despite being undersized in their first 11 games at home. They locked up the Phoenix Suns, beat them by about 30. They beat a pretty healthy Memphis Grizzlies team by about 20 to start the year. Then they'd go on the road and they would play with no energy. They would almost sleepwalk through games and it was a night and day difference. So I think, especially with the NBA trending a little bit more positionless, a little bit smaller, I think you can get away playing a small lineup if you have guys that'll scrap and play hard because that's what makes up for a size difference. Last year, I I don't feel like they had those types of guys. Gary Payton is that type of guy. Gary Payton Sr. and Gary Payton the second man. He takes after his father. So I'm excited that... At the very least, you're going to have a team that goes out there and competes on the defensive end, most likely, because you also have Josh Hart, who's one of those guys as well, uh, got rid of a couple of the guys that might have been part of the issue. So I'm happy that they signed somebody that can defend as well as he does, but also like consistently set the tone on that end and be a example for the rest of the team as to how you bring it on every single defensive possession. There's question marks about like what position he's, is he going to be guarding? How do you fit in his minutes? Where do you play him? Who do you play him next to? With the Blazers being super guard heavy, if Shaden Sharp gets minutes as well, then it becomes even more confusing as to where certain guys end up playing their minutes positionally or who they end up guarding. Uh, but that is something for Chauncey Billups to figure out. And I think that they're just going to play super aggressive on the perimeter, super quick. Cause that's the thing with the lack of size, you're probably going to be faster if you're smaller. So you have to play to your strengths. I think that um, you're going to see Chauncey do some creative things with all the uh, quickness he'll have out on the floor with a small team. So I'm really curious to see how he makes it work. And I think at the very least, you just have a team that'll come in and compete, which unfortunately we couldn't say last year. Yeah. And I think the, the tough part is, is Gary Payton. He's 29 years old. He'll be 30 in December. Has he figured it out where he's going to be successful in the NBA? He played, he's played 142 career games, Tori 71 were last year, exactly half. And he's 29 years old. So did he just figure it out? Is he like P.J. Tucker, who it took till him? He was 28, I believe, when he really got his first taste of success in the NBA. And now he's a freak and he's playing in his late you know, late 30s, making over $10 million a year. Did Gary Payton figure it out? Is he going to turn into a P.J. Tucker? A Draymond Green, same thing. It took him a couple years in the NBA to figure out, I can bang with these big guys. Like, I'm going to play more of a center role than a small forward, even though I'm six foot six. Like, is Gary Payton figuring it out right now that I'm a six foot two power forward? And I just got to own it and I got to play hard like that every day, every game, night in and night out. Or 
was he put in the best situation with the Warriors to succeed because the Warriors are so good and are so flexible mm-hmm. that they can just throw him out there and say, you know what, your strengths are this. This is all you have to focus on, right? And so I'm with you. I think it's going to be interesting what Chauncey does with Gary Payton because I don't know. I don't know if he is, you know, one of those freak guys that has figured it out at a late age that says, I'm just going to bang with guys that are way bigger than me and be successful or if it was just I was in the best situation. Yeah, and that worried me a little bit. Would you sign a guy from Golden State that finally broke into the league? It gave me shades of Ian Clark. Jordan Bell. Ian Clark, Jordan Bell, Eric Paschal, who's almost out of the league now. <laughs> you know, that they, they turn those guys, they maximize those guys' strengths and minimize their weaknesses. That's why they've been such a good team that can just plug in role players and they look phenomenal, where if they're playing for Portland, we're complaining about how we don't get Dame enough help. So that that is part of it. A big part of it was he shot 36% from three last year. And he was getting phenomenal three-point looks because of all the offensive firepower and a really good offensive system around him. So he was getting high-quality looks, but you could tell his shooting improved. Uh, He would hit some contested looks. He looked like he was more confident shooting the ball. Form looked a little bit better. So that's part of it. And that's the thing with the P.J. Tucker is he came back and was a consistent three-point shooter. So he's a 3-and-D guy. He's one of the best best, uh, corner three-point shooters pretty much ever in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So... It became a situation where, like, P.J. Tucker was not an offensive liability, and I think, hopefully for the Blazers' sake, Gary Payton has built his offensive game enough, just at least as a shooter, and then knowing when to cut, how to cut, that sort of thing. He wasn't an offensive liability last year for the Golden State Warriors, where earlier in his career he was an offensive liability due to his lack of a shot. That's why he wasn't in the league. The problem is how much of it was Golden State and how much of it was him in terms of him not being an offensive liability. I wouldn't be shocked if he shot 36% from three again next year because with Dame and Anthony Simons, you got Josh Hart, you got some skilled players, he'll still get some quality three-point looks, but I also wouldn't be surprised if his shooting fell back to what it was earlier in his career where he's a 26-27% three-point shooter and then all of a sudden you don't have to respect him from three and... The Blazers probably won't end up, you know, moving guys around as much offensively as the Golden State Warriors does uh, or did last year. So if the Blazers offense is more stagnant, then, you know, maybe he has less opportunities to cut and whatnot. In that sort of situation, there is some downside here, which is why at first, you know, with it being another guard and then the offensive questions, I was concerned with this signing. But this falls back to Chauncey Billups, you know, has to figure out how to use them offensively. Uh, get him, you know, minimize his weaknesses, maximize his strengths like the Warriors did last year, and hopefully his three-point shooting can continue. Yeah, I mean, I think we only came into the league, he was, since he was 6'2", 6'3", whatever, 6'4", he was looked at as being either a lead guard or that shooting guard. And that's just not his, that's not his game at all. He, but he's a very smart player. He slashes through the hoop well. I think, I think the way GP2 plays next year, and if he's successful in Portland, it's going to be all on Chauncey Billups. Can Chauncey put him in the right spots? Because you're right, they're not going to move around like the Warriors, but can they, you know, maximize his cutting ability, maximize him getting an open three-point look in the corner? I think this is a lot on Chauncey. And I like, again, I like GP2 as a player. I don't know what he is. I don't know if he figured it out, but I think Cronin just threw out a good talent, a good talented defensive player and said, Chauncey, you're going to have to figure it out on the offensive side with Gary Payton the second. You need to make him be able to not be a liability, like you said. So I think this this signing 
and Peyton's ability this year to be successful is all on Chauncey Billups this year, man. I'm excited to see Chauncey perform in his in his second season because we don't yeah we don't we don't know we don't know if he's good or not i mean last year he had to do nothing he was he was supposed to lose and he did a great job so maybe he's a great coach maybe he's not we don't know i like him but i think this move especially is all on chauncey how chauncey coaches this team is a huge storyline that's why i'm looking forward to next year is there's just a lot of storylines to keep track of even if the blazers are struggling it's just going to be fascinating to see how this team in this situation plays out on the court so uh, i'm extremely excited for next season just due to all the storylines that me and you will get to talk about yeah dude i uh last year they were not excited not fascinated it was hard to talk about them next season they are going to be fascinating Absolutely. So let's move on to a few re-signings. Anthony Simons re-signed. He was a restricted free agent. Did not get an offer sheet, just re-signed with the Portland Trailblazers on a four-year, $100 million deal. Had no options. That's $25 million a year. He cannot be traded until January 15th. For any of those wondering if we can trade him for Kevin Durant right now, no, we can't. $25 million a year, man. How do you feel about that price tag? Do you think he's overpaid? Would you have given him that much? What are your thoughts? Uh, as soon as Jalen Brunson's rumored contract came out, I knew Anthony Simons was getting more than $20 million. And it seemed like we last year were talking about Anthony Simons, you know, maybe $20 million a year, four years, $80 million. That sounds about right. As soon as Jalen Brunson got rumored to make what he was going to make, I knew it was up to $25 million. And for me... It's high, but out of all the offseason moves, the, the re-signings that they had with Dame and Nurk and Eubanks and Simons, this is the one contract where Anthony Simons can outperform his contract still. I still don't know, though, Tori. I know he's one of the best shooters when he played, but you know what? He's started 35 games in his career and 30 were last season. So I would say basically in four years, he's played about 30 real games because before that, he was a role player the season ago uh, in 2021. 2020-2021 uh, in that Nugget series. He, he wasn't a big part of the roster, big, big role under Stotts. Last year, he did have a big role, and he struggled, right? He struggled until um, he got inserted into the starting lineup, and then he really blew up for 30 games. So in his four-year career, he's had about 30 good games, and he's making $25 million a season. So I have questions. He is talented as all get out, but man, I think it's a risk right now. But also on the other side of it, the Blazers had no choice to do it, right? The way that they built their roster, the way they went about their season, they had to bring Anthony Simons back. I, it's unfortunate he got as much money as he did. I was hoping it would be 20 and it would be, it would just look even better. But at 25, that's a lot of money on a guy that I'm not sold on. So it does scare me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that I always say when having this conversation about whether or not players are overpaid is, uh, three, four years down the line, the salary cap will be much higher. You have a new TV deal on the table in, what, 2024, if I recall correctly? So, you know, that's the middle of his contract right there. That TV deal will probably bring more cash into the NBA. And four years from now, $25 million is going to look like, I don't know, $16 million today. So that is always something to remember when talking about these contracts. But I think how people feel about this contract value comes down to how much stock they put in his playmaking and creation development because he struggled in that regard before this past season. And having Damian Lillard be hurt and then go down gave Anthony Simons a chance to have more of a role 
And I think part of this is just natural growth with this game. Part of this is the continued effects of Damian Lillard's mentorship. And then you bring in Chauncey Billups as a coach. Uh, but he proved that he can make reads at a higher level than I thought he would this la- this past season. Because before the season, people were debating if he could even play point guard. Now I don't think it's a question at all. Now he's a guy that can play both because he's a tremendous shooter playing off the ball at the two. But he can also, I mean... I put stock in him being able to run a team and being that guy that can initiate and play make and then attack and get downhill. But as you said, it was a 30 game sample size. So how people feel about this contract is likely dependent on how much stock they put in that 30 games and what he showed during it. So I buy it. I think that it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period for him playing next to a healthy Damian Lillard and trying to figure out, okay, where can I pick my spots and where do I need to take a step back and let Dame do what he does best? That was an underrated part of the Dame and CJ pairing is I thought they knew when to get out of each other's way at times. And when Dame struggled, a lot of times CJ would step up. The most notable time was game seven, the second round against Denver. Dame was like three for 17. CJ had like 37 points. So that is something that it'll be interesting to see how quickly those two guys figure it out on the court in regards to playing off each other and being able to maximize each other as a backcourt pairing. Um, But I I don't have concerns because he's a phenomenal catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He's better than CJ was, and he's going to knock down threes. He's athletic. I think he's more of a guy that'll just maybe be a lane filler in transition, a guy who will attack a little bit more in transition than CJ McCollum did. And I hope that they can start to utilize him more as a cutter as well. So I still think even if he's not, even if he doesn't have the ball as much in his hands as he did during that 30 game sample, I still think he's a guy that can provide a lot of value off the ball and playing off Damian Lillard, maybe more so than CJ McCollum did. And CJ McCollum was on a max. So that's where I, I'm okay with $25 million a year. And then obviously he's young. So I still expect some more improvement. Yeah, you make all valid points. I think there's there's two big questions. One is obviously the elephant in the room. Is the Dame Ant backcourt the same thing as the Dave CJ backcourt, right? Two undersized-ish guards that have never been good defenders. Is it going to be the same exact outcome? I don't know. I think Anthony has a lot of room to grow defensively. You look at Chauncey, he's really, you know, he's really reached out to Anthony Simons and really reached him at a different level and put a lot of confidence in the game. So I think he could I think it could change as remains to be seen. We talked, we talked about just storylines with the Blazers. That, I think, is the number one thing I'm looking forward to, to see if that is the same backcourt. But the other question would be, the the big knock on CJ was he never got to the free throw line enough. He never got those easy buckets. Anthony Simons, like you said, showed the ability to run a team, uh, pass the ball a little bit. Does he have the ability in his game to take that next step, just like Dame did when he was young, and start getting to the free throw line more and get some easy buckets? I think if he can do that, it's going to put a, take a lot of pressure off of Damian Lillard, who has carried this franchise for how many years? I mean, since he got into the league. So do you think that Anthony Simons can become, you know, an all-around scorer where he can get to the free throw line, you know, four or five times a night and knock down those shots? Because like you said, great shooter. And that was something CJ didn't really do. Yeah, I mean, the first step for Anthony Simons would be acknowledging that he could try and get to the free throw line more. And he did that 
at the end of the season, he had a quote. I forget when exactly it was, but he had a quote talking about how star guards in the NBA get to the free throw line, you know, like seven, eight times a game. And he wants to get to the free throw line a little bit more. So the fact that he acknowledged that gives me some optimism that maybe that's something that he's looking at, you know, looking at film, studying some of the better guards in the league, and he has Damian Lillard to look at. Damian Lillard gets to the line a lot. So I'm hopeful that he'll be able to do that, and that's the thing. He was a really efficient uh, free-throw shooter last year as well. CJ McCollum always kind of struggled and had some weird... I mean, the dude was a terrific mid-range shooter off step-backs, contestant and whatnot, but when he had nobody in front of him and could take his time at the free-throw line, CJ McCollum was a surprisingly uh, average, maybe, maybe even below-average free-throw shooter at times. So... Uh, I am hopeful that he can improve that simply because he acknowledged it. I don't know if I remember CJ saying that he should get to the line more. <laughs> you know, I think CJ was a little bit more happy with the FBI victims unit step back mid range, <laughs> mid range in the face type of type of thing. Yeah, no, I uh, it remains to be seen for me. Uh, you know, Ant he's definitely developing to his body still. Uh, you know, he showed those improvements, but like I said, it was a small sample size in a season where. The Blazers weren't necessarily putting out their best lineup and weren't trying to win. So I, I want to see it. I hope he can do it. Um, I think it will take a lot of pressure off Damian Lillard if he can. I just still have a lot of questions about just what exactly is the ceiling for this guy and is he going to make that $25 million? Again, conclusion for me is it was worth it because they had no other choice. This was the choice that they had to make, but I still I got a lot of questions about it. Yep. I agree. Let's move on and talk about the other big name blazer that resigned, which was Yusuf Nurkic. It was rumored that he was going to resign right after free agency started, and then he waited until the morning after to resign, and Blazer fans, including me, were wondering what was going on with him. Uh, But he did end up coming back to Portland on a four-year, $70 million contract, which is $17.5 million per year. His contract has no options on it. He cannot be traded until December 15th, so also can't trade him for Kevin Durant. This is part of the reason why the Blazers can't even trade for Kevin Durant right now like we're not getting them anyway but it's actually literally impossible right now but as far as Yusuf Nurkic's contract goes I think there's two big men that I think he's extremely comparable to in terms of being more of a throwback big man and then as well as his contract so Nurkic is making 17 and a half million dollars a year you look at Steven Adams he's I think on the final year of his contract making 17 million dollars a year and then Jonas Valanciunas is making about 15 million dollars a year so with that said this is the same conversation. Do you think Yusuf Nurkic is overpaid? Are you happy with the contract? What are your thoughts? All right, so let me throw this theory at you, out at you, Tori. What do you think? We talked about roster construction a little bit earlier. There was the rumors of DeAndre Ayton uh, being moved, and Portland was a part of it. And a lot of the people questioned, well, is he worth a max contract? Which he's not. But I kind of think centers in the NBA, you either want to pay not a lot of money or go to the max. So I was okay with getting DeAndre Ayton because he is a really good, effective center. Yusuf Nurkic is right in the middle. You mentioned the centers around them. Jonas Valanciunas, Steven Adams. Those are guys that you cannot play in every lineup. Not against every team. They can't play against every team. Nurk is a guy that I think the Blazers are pretty much going to have to play every single night, night in and night out, at the end of the game. So for me, it's an overpay because I would have rather seen the Blazers just gone cheaper at that position. I, You know what? I like Nurk, 
But when the Blazers were tanking, I was really excited to see the Blazers trade him. And when it didn't happen, it was kind of a disappointment. And then as soon as he sat out with the in, you know the injury, I knew he was getting a contract coming back to Portland. And I was a little disappointed about it. I was hoping to see him move on and hopefully play somewhere else because of the frustration he has, right? Like he's a really good player, but there's a lot of negatives in his game. A lot of positives, a lot of negatives. And so to give a guy $17.5 million and not be able to play him every single night at the end of the games... I think it's a problem. And so the Blazers are going to have to play him because they don't have any other bigs besides Drew Eubanks and Nurk's better than him in every single situation. So Nurk's going to have to play basically every night at the end of games. And I just don't think that he's that type of player. Yeah. So as far as potential Nurk trades this past season went, he just, to me, in my opinion, didn't have any trade values. So it was like, how are you going to go out there and get somebody anywhere near his level, which I'm higher on Nurkic than most people, but even for the people that were down on him, it's like you you don't have a ton of assets to move around here. And the Blazers still can't trade their future first round picks. You're obviously not going to do anything with the seventh overall pick in regards to a center. And then they end up using their mid-level exception money on Gary Payton the second. The thing is, is it's either Yusuf Nurkic or it was going to be a low caliber starter. That was worse than Yusuf Nurkic. That maybe can do a couple things better, but in terms of their overall game, wasn't going to be as good of a player. And I was never on board with potentially losing Nurkic for nothing, whether it be trade where he's in a contract year and probably doesn't have a ton of trade value or on the free agent market. I never thought DeAndre Ayton was all that possible and I I didn't want to give him a max contract. I'm lower on him than most people. But in the end, the whole Yusuf Nurkic thing comes down to partly what was the alternative. I don't think the Blazers had a reasonable alternative other than bringing him back on a contract. And Yusuf Nurkic is a Rich Paul client who is uh, one of the better agents in the game, so to say. So Jeremy Grant as well. Yeah, yeah. So I was not too surprised to see the number. And even if it's a slight overpay given what he provides, is it something that's going to hurt the Blazers in the future? I don't think it's really going to make much of a difference long term. So I think it's a little steep, but I don't have a problem with it, if that makes sense. Okay, but you but you just said that you thought Nurk had no value in the trade market during the season. Yet the Blazers turn around to give him four years, $70 million. Why would he have any trade value now? Right. Like he's not a he's not a big guy that you could throw out there and play against everybody. And now you're going to pay him seventeen and a half million dollars where he's not. His game isn't based on athleticism like he's a dying breed in the NBA where he's a big guy that's not super athletic. So like where is the positives in this contract? Well, first off, I I don't think that you resign him with the thoughts of trading him. I do think he can be some filler salary, but there's not a lot of good teams that don't have an entrenched starting center so that's the thing in regards to his trade value part of the reason he had no trade value was he was on a contract year and could leave for nothing and could just be a rental if a team traded for him at the deadline part of it was teams weren't really in the market for a center and you know you look at like the los angeles lakers they didn't really have a ton of assets so there wasn't really a bidding war there and i mean you look at what the Blazers got back for Norman Powell and Robert Covington, which was Keon Johnson, Justice Wizzo, like a second round pick. I just don't think there was 
it was really a reasonable alternative on the trade market. As far as the positives in his contract go, I still think the most underrated thing about him is that he's one of the best screen setters in the league. And when you have a Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons, having a big that can set the type of screens he does goes a long way into getting those guys space and giving those guys the room to do what they do best. You know, and nobody really talks about screen setting. It's definitely an undervalued trait. He's a phenomenal screen setter. And when we've missed him in the past, I feel like that's when you start to notice, oh man, Damian Lillard's not getting space to shoot a three off this screen. He's still a great rebounder. And positionally, I think he's solid. He's one of those guys that you probably don't want as your center if you have some mediocre to bad defenders around him. But if you have guys that are at least solid, then he's completely fine in my opinion. I think he has better foot speed than people give him credit for. You see a guy with his size and I feel like people just assume that he's slower footed than he is. Granted, I, I'm higher on Nurkic, so this is part of the this is part of the Nurkic love that I've given him in the past, but I think in the end, you just have a big man that can positionally defend, can hopefully do a little better job protecting the rim this year, and he can pass the ball, sets great screens. His finishing was at a career high clip last year, and people give him a lot of crap for not being able to finish around the rim, but he set a career high in terms of two-point field goal percentage. It was 53.5%. His next closest career high was actually the year before when he shot 51.4%. So it's a career high by two percentage points. And that was with a big portion of that. He wasn't playing with his main table setter in Damian Lillard. And when he was playing with Dame, Dame was hurt. For how big he is and the fact that he can't step out and shoot threes, that he's shooting 53%, that's a problem. That's a problem. It really is. And I again, I have there's a lot of positives with Dirk. A lot of negatives. There's a, the 15 game stretch he had at the end of last season. I heard a lot of Blazer fans say this is the best Nurk he's ever played. He averaged 18 points, 12 rebounds, but he shot 52 and a half percent. That's not very good. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna be that big, you gotta shoot better. If you especially if you have guys that are creating space, Anthony Simons was creating space for him, and he was still not shooting well. So there's a lot of questions I have with Nurk. I again, I was excited to see him go somewhere else and see the Blazers go in a different direction. But now they bring Nurk back. I feel like. There's still going to be the same problems that they have. Defensively, he is a good positional positional defender, but he's not great at protecting the rim, and he gets put out of position because there's so many bad defenders. The Blazers are going to have to be so much better defensively on the wing for him to be good defensively again. I just I just was looking forward to seeing someone else. Uh, so to see this four years, $70 million, kind of put a little, little damper on my attitude for the offseason. Well, who were you hoping for? I, I, I don't really have a name, Tori. But it's like I said, I, th- I think the center position in the NBA, you either just want a really good athlete that is young or, you know, you have to get a really good athlete that's an elite, like a DeAndre Ayton, and pay him, right? So either go really, you know, cheap or really expensive. To go in the middle, I think, is a problem because the NBA has gone away from big men, right? It's all about the outside shooting, Nurk doesn't provide that. So to give a guy $17.5 million, I think it's a problem just to do that when he's a guy that's not, you can't play every game. Yeah. I mean, I hear it. It makes sense to me. I still believe that he's going to have a solid season next year and he'll probably still get the same criticisms. 
I don't think any center is saving the Blazers' defense the past no, couple of years. No, 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 no. I, and I don't mean to put it out like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is, if I'm going to give a guy $17.5 million, I'd rather have him be a strong defensive player like Steven Adams rather than Yusuf Erkic. Also, Steven, I didn't... Is Steven I, Adams a strong defensive player, though? I mean, he was. I mean, he, he I, he's similar been. to me for... He's similar to me. He's similar to Nurkic for me. Yeah. But that's the thing when when judging big men, when you're talking about finishing, is is it's hard to gauge... You have to you have to take an att- into account shot quality. Right. DeAndre Ayton looks really good. He's assisted on like 80% of his field goals. And he has Chris Paul, who made Bismack Biombo look good last but year. Sh- but shouldn't Dame be able to do that, too? Yeah, and that's where the fact that he set a career high by two percentage points, 53.5% from two, around the rim, he set a career high, and that's without Dame. So that's where I'm hopeful that maybe he improved quietly last year, and now that he'll have Dame setting him up for a couple like wide-open dunks, which Dame will, wide-open dunks every game, he'll be efficient enough on the interior to finish. Because that's the thing when I look at some other big men playing with with a Chris Paul and whatnot is they finish at a really high clip. The problem is, is Nurkic didn't do that with a healthy Damian Lillard in prior years. I just think he improved last year. And I'm curious to see how he finishes. If he did improve last year, he'll show it this year with Damian Lillard setting the table. And I would be all aboard for a big man that could switch and defend guards on the perimeter and, you know, hopefully shoot threes as well. I'd be all on board with the type of big that you're putting out there because I think it's easier to win when you have like a Robert Williams type of big man. The problem is they're super hard to find. And if you can find them, they're really hard to get. I don't think the Blazers had a big man available for that. So in the future... You know, if Nurkic's finishing regresses a little bit, if he's still struggling with Dame next to him, then in the future, maybe one of those big men will become available and then you make a move. I just think with the Blazers, with where they were at the past six months or so, they didn't have an alternative. Yeah, I mean, the the unfair thing also is, you know, and I don't really like bringing it up and you can't really account for it, but he has had a hard time staying healthy as well. You know, you have to take it into account, but... You can never predict the injuries. Obviously, you want him to stay healthy. Um, but, you know, I, again, he's a fascinating player. And, Tori, it sounds like you still have a little bit of uh, Nurk fever where my Nurk fever has uh, <laughs> officially officially healed. Um, uh, my Nurk fever is gone. I'm done with it. You still got it a little bit. Yeah, he's a hard player. He's a hard player to even talk about for me, man. Um, just hard to break down his game, especially not seeing it for, what, six months now? Yeah. Uh, so I'll go into next year in, with an open mind, positive or negative, and, you know, if he's struggling, I'll, I'll call it out. I'm not afraid to call it out. I do think the one area that the Blazers messed up this offseason was not getting better backup center depth in case Yusuf Nurkic gets hurt or in case Yusuf Nurkic struggles. It looks like they're rolling in with Drew Eubanks, who was the final re-signing for the Portland Trail Blazers. But he put up double-doubles, Tori. He put up double-doubles against tanking teams for a tanking team, man. I gotta love those stats. But um, who's your backup center? That's the, this is the final question for this episode. You got, what, Trenton Watford and Drew Eubanks. It looks like there's going to be a battle there. And you can probably mix and match depending on opponents. But who would you have most have the most confidence in being the backup center heading into the season at this point? Uh, for me, it's Trenton Watford. And as soon as they didn't bring in a new center and they re-signed Eubanks, I understood what they were doing. Right, like he's a big body, he's pretty decently athletic, um, but he provides basically zero upside. 
And we talked about Trent Wofford a little bit. You know, he has he has skills offensively that you like to see, but defensively is where he really shined, even on a bad team. And it's one of those things where, you know, you watch him play and you can see, like, you know what, he understands, um, you know, the X's and O's defensively, where to be. He's a very smart player. You know, I don't think he's a very athletic player, but he's very smart and he uses that ability to play good defense. And so I think right now for me, I want the Blazers to experiment with a small backup five and have it be Trenton Watford because if he proves that he can guard bigger guys consistently and do a good job, I think offensively is where he's going to help because he can take the ball out of the hands of Damian Lillard or Anthony Simons and run a few plays and give them, you know, a couple breaks where they're off the ball and get different looks. So for me, it's Trenton Watford. I want him to be the backup five from the get-go um, and see what can happen from there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that gives them the higher ceiling to go back to that narrative. I think the things that Trenton Watford can do offensively gives them a different dynamic off the bench. And with a smaller team, it's good to get out and run. Having a guy that can grab a rebound and push the pace himself and then make plays for others in transition is a really good asset to have with the bench lineup. And that's what Trent Watford can do offensively as well. So being able to have a guy that can can grab and go, I think, is huge for the bench lineup. I don't know who's going to start at the three. We don't know that at this point. We don't know exactly what that bench lineup's going to look like. But when you're giving up size, you got to make up for it with uh, transition play, uh, speed defensively as well. I think Trenton Watford, I don't know. I don't know if... I don't know if I should say he's quicker than Drew Eubanks defensively. He's a little bit more undersized. I would say he's tougher. He's tougher. I think he I think he processes a little bit quicker. Where he's yeah. not necessarily more athletic or uh quicker on his feet, but he recognizes situations surprisingly fast for a rookie. And that was one of the knocks on him coming out of LSU was he wasn't a good defensive player. I think he's proven that wrong. And a big part is he's just, as you said, very smart on that end. So I think he's able to get to spots a little bit faster because he processes the game a little faster defensively. And that's what you need with a small lineup. You have to play very positionally sound so you don't end up giving up buckets on the interior. You got to keep teams out of the paint and then you got to help properly as well. So uh, that's where I would go with Trenton Watford as well. I, I'm not thrilled about it because he is undersized for the backup center spot that's where i go back to i wish they maybe addressed that spot with a better backup option i don't know who that would have been but at this point yeah i think you roll with trent wofford yeah i mean i think with wofford the problem also is i the quickness is going to be a problem so i think actually center is probably his best position in the nba and that's fine. Like, I think he just needs to embrace it. And he's one of those guys where you talked about in college, he had questions. He kind of fits the NBA game a little bit better because he has some perimeter skills. Uh, he can dribble as a big man. In college, they don't necessarily want you to do that. So, you know, to do that offensively, I think he has some skills. Uh, you know, and he was the one real bright spot from a season ago for me is we expected literally nothing out of the guy. He came in and like you said, from day one, when he played, you looked and you saw just the, the, the ability to grasp onto concepts defensively. Um, and show that he can guard on the on the NBA level. So just like as an offseason recap with Trent Wofford, like I wanted him to not really play this year. I don't see that. I see he's a role player this year with the Blazers, so I think that's a failure. But I do like the fact um, that he still has shown the ability to play some defense. And so he, again, fascinating player. I don't know that his upside is. I think he's a role player at best. 
But I do hope that he is the backup five over Drew Eubanks because I just think, like you said, the ceiling, right? You want to look for the high, the highest ceiling the Blazers can get, and that's Trenton Watford for sure. Yep, absolutely agree. I do think at some point they might address that backup spot. Maybe it's a buyout candidate around the trade deadline. Maybe it's a minor trade. Uh, so long term, we'll see if Watford, I think Watford has the potential to earn that backup center spot for the long term. Um, and if he struggles and Eubank struggles, then that's something they probably address. The, the, uh, the other thing real quick, Tori, about Trent Watford, what I liked is even on a bad team last year, you could tell guys looked up to him. Mm-hmm. right like he was the real leader of that team you can even see it in summer league not that it matters but like he has he has that like um i can't even think what the word is but like he has the gravitational pull of other guys right like guys gravitate around him and they play hard for him so i think that's really I, like that's i think that's not it's not the biggest thing in the world for the nba but it does help to act like he belongs and people respect his game Yeah, absolutely. Especially after last season, man, where there was just a weird feel around the team and uh, a lack of effort, it seemed like at times. It's good to have guys like that in the locker room. It's good to have a Trenna Watford, Josh Hart, Gary Payton II, even a Justice Winslow is a good locker room guy as well. So uh, I think that matters and it's something that uh, tends to get overlooked. But it's also another one of the reasons why I'm looking forward more to next season. Yeah, no, I... That's a great point that you just made is last season, a lot of the veterans did not play hard. And it's okay to say that. Like they they checked out at the start of the year. This season seems like it's going to be a lot different. It seems like the guys that they brought in are guys that compete and play hard night in and night out. So at least, at least early on, the Blazers are going to have some competitive games. Whether they win or lose, they're going to be playing hard unlike last season. Absolutely. So... In a few words, summarize this offseason. Are you happy with it? Are you satisfied? What are your thoughts? I would say f- I'm fine. I'm fine with it. In a, in a vacuum, I like the Jeremy Grant trade. I like the Shaden Sharp pickup, uh, the draft pick. I like the Gary Payton free agent signing. But I was saying this all through the season and at the start of the offseason is that I wanted to shoot for bigger. And I don't even know what players those are. But I wanted to shoot for bigger. The German Grant trade, like I said, the worst kept secret in the league. Pretty much everyone knew like Portland wanted him. He wanted to come to Portland. So it seemed like that was the worst case scenario is you can always fall back to Jeremy Grant. But that was like the main offseason move was to get him. So they fell back to get Jeremy Grant. They drafted Shaden Sharp. You were hoping for a number one overall pick. You got the number seven overall pick, fell back. Gary Payton the second. Good role player on a team, but has never proven that he's actually an NBA player night in and night out. So I like all the moves in a vacuum, but as the offseason as a whole, it was kind of meh for me. Like I would, it was very average and not satisfying for me. I wanted more and I just didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I'm cautiously, cautiously being an important word there. I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic because I think you won't have some of the issues you had last year with the lack of effort. Um, I think you you got a maybe a, a better locker room now, and maybe it wasn't even a problem with the locker room guys. You know, I, I don't know what last season was, but I'm hopeful that 
this season you're going to have guys that bring it night in and night out, and you have some potential breakout candidates still. I mean, Anthony Simon still might have another step to his game that he can bring it to, and then we haven't even talked about Nasir Little. We will definitely uh, touch upon him in future episodes, but he's a potential breakout candidate, and then obviously Shane Sharp in the next couple of years, another guy to watch. So I like that. I, I like the youth movement at this point. You got some better defensive players. You finally got some good on-ball defenders with Gary Payton II and Josh Hart, in my opinion. So I'm cautiously optimistic that it'll be better next year defensively. Even if they could be an average defensive team, that's a huge improvement, and they're probably a, a borderline home court advantage team because I think they're going to be just fine offensively. Uh, I think they're going to be good offensively. You have a healthy Dame, you know, maybe a healthy Damian Lillard can be an average defensive player. You know, there's a lot of things to be optimistic about, but, you know, might not be sure things. So, therefore, cautiously optimistic. I understand where you're coming from. I, I disagree, but uh, I, I get it. I'm looking forward to getting into, like, Western Conference standings predictions, win predictions, and and uh, touch it upon, like, some more season preview stuff. I'm really looking forward to breaking things down a little bit more. And then, obviously, as we will get into the season, we'll break down things that are going on in games and trade talk and narratives and that sort of thing. So, with that being said, man, is there anything else you want to say for our debut podcast? No, man, it's uh, I'm just excited to work with you, Tori, and I think we're going to do some good work. And uh, again, if you guys you know have any questions or comments or just anything you want to bring up, you can hit up Tori on Twitter. Hit me up on Twitter. Uh, we'll have a Twitter page soon for this podcast. I mean, we're always uh, welcoming to all these all these comments and stuff. So, uh, no, we just appreciate the support and uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Absolutely, absolutely. So with that being said, that's a wrap for the first episode from us, at least in terms of the Believe in Blazers podcast. We look forward to uh, getting into the season here in a couple months. With that said, I'm out of here. I'll catch you in the next one. As always, peace out. Go Blazers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.